Okay, so here's, um, here's my request. Uh, we are wrapping up the Jonah series, and, and um, to, well, sadness, I, I, I'll take that. Um, so um, I, I like Jonah too, but let me tell you, um, tonight, tonight's actually kind of um, a super weird end to the story. If you've ever read the book of Jonah, this again, this is one of those moments where um, if you grow up hearing about this story in kids' ministry, they appropriately teach you kind of the basic elements of it. And so it's a lot about obedience and faith. Um, and then people coming to repentance and coming to know God. But chapter 4 is probably a little heavy for kids. And so uh, you're students, and so we're going to go there. Um, but here's, here's what I'm going to ask you. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you, some of you um, are really, really like addicted to these uh, things called cell phones. And so my plea with you is going to be to just go ahead and put that in the pocket. Um, maybe even just turn it all the way off. If the vibrate bothers you, like just, just don't, just don't go for it. If you're like super committed to taking notes and you want to do that in your notes app, that's fine. Uh, but I've watched some of you get easily distracted. And so that's my request. That's just my request. Okay. Um, Tonight, we're going to talk about Jonah chapter 4 and kind of wrap up the whole book uh, from, from five different angles, okay? So there's just some things that are happening in the fourth chapter that seem to, um, like, scream at me when I read um, this chapter specifically. And I think, I think that I'm probably not alone in that. So let me recap real quick. Jonah is a book about... Not whales. God. This is a book about God because God is the most frequently mentioned word, um, and the Bible is about God. The Bible's not necessarily about you. Now, you're a big part of it. Uh, you are the one that's supposed to read it, but the book, the, the books of the Bible and the Bible as a compilation of books are about God, Okay. Sometimes I think that we get a little too, like, me-focused and a little less God-focused. And I, I want to maybe right-size our picture of who God is uh, with, this, with, this, with this night. Um, the first chapter, we see that God calls Jonah specifically, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. That was just it, okay? So go to Nineveh and call out against them because their evil has uh, come up before. He sees it, he's aware of it, and he's burdened by it, and he's angered by it. And so Jonah is called to go preach judgment on them. And that word judgment just showed up in that song. If you're paying attention, if you're someone who, like you're supposed to, kind of pays attention to the lyrics that you're singing, and these are really supposed to be kind of echoes of our heart to God as we're singing, um, that word judgment is also kind of negative in our culture. You're so judgmental, and they're so judgmental. Um, but, but God is the judge of all judges. He's the king of all kings, and he's the Lord of our lords. So if anyone can judge, God can, okay? And he will, okay? So if you ever hear that, like, only God can judge me, you can't tell me how to live, I always think, like, I wouldn't say that so boldly. I wouldn't tattoo it to your arm. Like, God will <laughs> judge all of us. He will, he will bring all of things into judgment in the end of all days. Like, that will happen. And you're going to see some stuff that kind of 
trends that direction. Okay, so first chapter, Jonah's called to go preach, and then he runs, right, gets swallowed by a whale, and then he's just kind of there for three days, three nights. Chapter two is all like a prayer or a song of some, some kind, and it's really all just different, different verses plucked out of the Psalms. So that means he has read Psalms, he has studied Psalms, and he has memorized them to some degree. And so he's repenting, and he's getting his heart right, and then the, veil, the whale vomits him up, and then um, God again says, Arise, go to Nineveh, preach against them, and he does. Eli did a great job last week teaching that part of the story. Did Eli do a good job? We're so thankful for Eli. So thankful for Eli. Um, so he goes, he preaches, and then everyone gets saved. Everyone. And uh, they declared kind of like a whole city fast or like we're going to devote ourselves to God. We're going to cease from eating food and we're going to focus on God. We want to hear God's voice. They even made the animals fast. It was, it was nuts. And so the whole city fast, which is like best case scenario, right? You preach, you do what God tells you to do. What we tell you guys all the time is God calls you to do something. He equips you. He gives you the tools to do that. He gives you the boldness and the power to do it. And what happens with Jonah? He went and did it. He had the tools, and it worked. It was an A+. Plus. It was 100%, except it wasn't. Why? Because verse 1 of chapter 4, <clears throat> be on the screen. We're just going to put, like, the verses on the screen tonight, and then we're going to talk about the whole thing. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What? This is so confusing. So here's what happens. So, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then, God, I love God's questions. I, I just feel like maybe we just need to laugh. If this were you, you wouldn't be laughing. But for us, it's like, <laughs> he says, do you do well to be angry? Why is that your question? Like, yes, I'm angry. Like, and also, like, don't make fun of me for being angry. I don't think God's making fun of them. But sometimes, do your parents ever do that to you? Your folks? Like, do they, like, you're angry. And <laughs> they're just smiling and laughing at you. And you're like, Argh! So I imagine that's kind of where Jonah's at right now. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Pause so he could wait and see what would become of the city. What do you think he was waiting for? Yeah. I don't know. The whole thing to spontaneously explode. It's just my guess. Like, some sort of God-sized kill everybody. I think that's what he wanted. So he waited to see what would become of the city. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant. Pay attention to that word. We'll come back to that appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. There's that word exceedingly. We'll come back to that again as well. But then when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. God's kind of trolling Jonah right now. 
When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked God that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So God says to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, emo moment of all emo moments, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Okay? He swoops his hair over, and he gets his black leather jacket, and he says, yeah, I'm angry. So, and the, sorry, this is a little much. Uh, and the Lord said, you pity the plant. This is serious. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Period. End of story. What? This is like my first question when I get to heaven. So God, can we talk about like the, the end of Jonah? Is there a sequel? Is there a, like, what in the world is that all about? And so if you're paying attention to that story, uh, maybe the same thing is kind of screamed at you, like, pay attention to these words, because there was a lot of repetition. Did you pick up on the repetition? And some of the repetition isn't just in chapter 4, but you've seen it in chapter 1 and chapter 3. And so uh, we're going to look at this from the five angles. These are just... I'm honestly, I just kind of want to talk about the five things that I noticed in this passage, okay? First of all, the word exceedingly shows up a lot. And I see big emotional swings back and forth. Now, I'm talking to a group of teenagers right now, and so I feel like y'all might be familiar with big emotional swings. Now, I know, P.S., us adults know a little bit about it too. Um, we know what it's like to maybe have something uh, happen in our lives that kind of jars us and throws us off center. And also, we were teenagers and we know what it was like. We also know what it was like to maybe be put in some situations that we, or put ourselves in some situations that we would regret because of those big emotional swings. I want you to, like, these verses, nothing else is going to be on the screen tonight, so just kind of zone in with me. We see the word exceedingly angry in verse 1 and exceedingly glad in verse 6. And I just have to think, and I know, listen, I know it's um, difficult to be a teenager, and maybe more in your generation than it was for mine. Okay? Okay. Uh, but here's what I want to tell you. And this kind of rolls us right into the second thing that I noticed. Okay, so big emotional swings on the one, number one. Number two is irrational decisions. So he says on multiple occasions in this book, kill me. Now, I want to be incredibly serious for just a moment, okay? So I don't want you to think I'm making light of this situation, this, this temptation. I don't know how serious he was. I don't know if he was using um, hyperbole to try to say, kill me now, take my life now. It is better for me to die than to live. But we're seeing a guy walk through some difficult circumstances. Let's go all the way back through it for just a moment, okay? First, the book opens. God calls him to do something fairly suicidal. 
Okay? Go to this nation that is brutal, that, that, that when, when they murder, they murder in brutal methods. Go to them and preach against them. So he runs. Something supernatural happens, and a whale swallows him. Somehow he's alive for three days and three nights. He gets vomited up. You think maybe he's experiencing some emotional swings? <laughs> like, have you ever found yourself, you're like, God, are you even here? Are you paying attention? Have you ever been inside the stomach of a whale and said that? I imagine on some level, one of those moments, he had, he had a weak moment. Chill, chill. Thank you. Again, I want to be serious. Um... I understand how scary life can be. I understand that sometimes uh, we make rash decisions because maybe it seems like the world is against us and is opposing us. And I will say, uh, the Bible would share that there is an enemy against us and he is shooting uh, fiery darts at us. Um, not literal, but in a sense of like spiritual warfare. And in uh, First or Second Peter, uh, not Third Peter, <laughs> in First or Second Peter, it does say, you shouldn't be surprised when you're experiencing, experiencing them. Now, those of us in the room that want to get big and bold and say, well, I don't believe God exists. I don't believe Satan exists then you're probably going to be shocked to see that those fiery arrows, whether you believe in him or not, are going to hit you too. And those big emotional swings are going to happen. And I pray, I want you to zone in with me real quick. I pray that if you ever have that difficult moment where you're like pondering, like, is it even worth it? Understand that we are here to help you Understand that God loves you, that God has a purpose for your life. And look at Jonah's story. Over the course of like two pages, he has some different events, and then he responds with big verbal threats. And that can happen with you. It's happened with me. The, the exceedingly angry, the exceedingly glad, like having the high highs and the low lows will do something to you. And so there's, there's this thing that I try to abide by. Um, it's called a halt. I don't make decisions when I am hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Hungry, angry. You ever go to the grocery store and you're hungry? Yes. You bought how many packs of Oreos, Mark? <laughs> um, hungry, angry, lonely, we're tired. Halt. And that is meant to be maybe just a practical way for you to think like, hey, I'm experiencing some, some emotional swings. I'm experiencing some things that are bringing some discomfort to me. Maybe it's not like decision-making time. And, and our student ministry, I wish I could implant this all in your minds is here to walk with you through those difficult times. Our volunteers are here to walk you through those difficult times. We have a counseling department that is here to walk you through those difficult times. We're here. We're here. And we want you to know when you walk through those big emotional swings, first of all, when you're alone and you're like trying to decide to make a decision or not, pause and bring some wise counselors into your life. I have wise counselors in my life. 
people that I go to when I'm like having my emotional swings. Okay? There's wisdom in many counselors. Jonah was alone. He was isolated. Okay? Just going to leave that where it is. Third thing. Okay, so first, big emotional swings, irrational decisions. I want to talk about God for these next two points. Um, the third one is God is obviously in charge. The, the sheer amount of the times the word appointed shows up in this chapter, not to mention chapter one. God appointed a storm, right, or hur hurled a storm. He appointed a, a fish. He appointed the wind, the plant, the worm. Are you catching on to what the Bible's trying to tell us? God is not disinterested in what's happening in your life. Now, some of that stuff is like, well, it sounds like he's interested in hurling a storm and whales and worms and storms and stuff like that. Hear me. We said this in chapter one. I'll say it tonight. God may use things to get, get your attention. And sometimes rescue looks like suffering. But is God killing Jonah? Trying to get his attention. If, if, don't you think, just for a moment with me, rationally, don't you think that Jonah would have gotten killed going to preach judgment against the most brutal army that's ever lived? Right? Don't you think that would have naturally? So why do you think Jonah escaped alive and even had great success with the whole city repenting? Do you think maybe God was involved in that? I'm just saying I'm just saying, God is in charge. And he's not always appointing things, but sometimes he is. And we won't know. Listen, I'm not here to tell you this is when he appointed something other than when we see it in Scripture. In 2022, I don't know. Did he appoint you to get in a wreck? Did he appoint you to fail your class? <laughs> no, you should study. And, you know, if you walk off a cliff, God didn't appoint you to die. He's stupid, right? Like that's sometimes things happen because we choose things. You're supposed to laugh. I'm sorry. Maybe you're like, oh, yeah, I should. Okay, so playful laughing, that's fine. We could also talk about all the things that you do that end you up in a place. You're like, oh, this is stupid. I can't believe this. And you should look at yourself in the mirror and say, Maybe I need to choose some things differently. So, so hear me clearly. Okay? Sometimes God is appointing things to get a, get a hold of you. And sometimes our choices walk us right into our own consequences. Okay? So there's, there's that. God's big question. This is interesting. What is God's big question? Ask it, asks it twice. All of these are repetitive, by the way. Do you do well to be angry? He asks that to Jonah. I love when God asks questions all over scripture because it gets right to the heart of it. Think of uh, what God asked Adam and Eve after they ate the fruit. Do you remember what he said? Where are you? Do you think he needed to know their geographical location? No, he knew. I think he was asking more of like their heart location. Like where, where, what happened to us? We were close, now we're not. Now you're hiding. What happened? God asked Jonah, do you do well to be angry? This one's deep for me. First of all, just on a surface level, what does anger do to us? I don't expect you to answer out loud, but just think in your own life. What does anger do 
to us. I happen to think that for some of us who are maybe predisposed to anger, anger can be like a drug. We get angry. Some of us like to sit in anger. Someone hurts us, and we we aren't quite ready to go forgive them, so we just like to sit in that anger. And sometimes we let the anger point us to making irrational decisions. Sometimes we make decisions that are very self-damaging. Why? Because the anger was fueling it. We never went back to this, the core issue of why that anger is there in the first place. God says, do you do well to be angry? What are, what are some things that would help us to be angry about? Example one, be angry that the people of Nineveh, their evil is rising up towards God. And so what do you do? You follow his plan, you accept his, his tools to go, share the gospel with them, and they repent. But that wasn't what was happening, right? What happened? Like, he shared, they repented, and then he was greatly displeased and was waiting to watch what would happen to the city. Is it possible that you can actually do some, do some things right as a Christian and still get it wrong? I think, I think Jonah got it wrong. Now, here's what's nuts about this. All through the Bible, you see people that are disobedient getting used by God to do really crazy good things. Good things happen when disobedient people let him move. But this is a situation where Jonah lets him move but never really gave God his heart. Like never put his heart on the altar. Okay. I said it was deep. It is possible, I think, for for people that would call themselves Christians to go through the motions. You go to church. Maybe you get baptized Maybe you go on trips. Maybe you show up to fuse. And the whole time, your heart's not in it. Your heart's not surrendered. If you read through the Bible over and over, you see pictures of people showing us that the thing that God wants is our heart. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't need you to do the things he asks you to do. He can accomplish them. It is a a grace and a mercy that he offers us to be a part of his plan. Some of us are going to go on mission trips this summer. And you're going to get to do really cool things. You're going to get to share the gospel with someone. You're going to get to paint a wall. You're going to, and whether that's through Go Houston or Rush Week or or through Rushmore or through some other mission trips that our, our church is taking. There's trips to Montana. There's trips to San Diego. There's a trip to uh, South America. And you're going to get to do really amazing things. But listen to me, if your heart is not surrendered to God, somehow there's a disconnect. And if I can just say it this way, this is really my last point, that Jonah's heart was in the wrong place the whole time. He did some really great things. Chapter 1, he runs. Chapter 2, he repents and prays. Chapter 3, he obeys. And chapter 4, he's just an emotional mess because what 
he really wanted to happen, what he, he kind of puts on display for us is that he's hoping they would get destroyed. Track with me. I want you to hear that sentence again. Jonah was hoping they would get destroyed. A couple things I noticed. Jonah may very well have hated these people. You can call it all kinds of things. You might even call it racism. You might even call it um, self-righteousness. You can call it, I've been following the rules all my life. These people, they've been uh, pagans. Kill them, God. You know, on a, on a small level, it's like when you're driving the speed limit and then someone comes racing past you and then you see them get pulled over down the road, there's a little part of you that's like, yes, yes, I was obeying the rules and they weren't, they deserve it. And then sometimes you get pulled over and you're like, God, where are you? <laughs> you know, and it's like, it, it should go both ways. Sometimes you get in trouble for something you didn't do. And you're like, this isn't fair. And sometimes someone else gets in trouble for something you did. And you walk along slyly like you pulled one over. Did Jonah have the wrong idea about salvation? Did Jonah think that maybe it was how good he was? Maybe he was like, I go to church, I give, I serve. I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with these people. So I've earned my way into heaven. I need you to hear me very clearly. If you think you can earn your way into heaven, then you've missed the entire point of Christianity. Who is heaven for? Is heaven for people who, who have memorized the Bible, who go on mission trips, who give a lot of money, who lift their hands in worship? No, 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 no. There's people who... Uh, who give money to churches that will be in heaven. There's people who don't give money to churches that will be in heaven. There's people who go on mission trips that will be in heaven. There's people that go on mission trips that will be in hell. There's people that are sitting in our churches on Sunday mornings that will be in hell, and you're like, I thought they were a Christian. You need to understand what God says is that heaven is for people who are forgiven, not who have, like, done all the steps. It's very simple. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he's risen from the dead, that you'll be saved. It's so simple. But we somehow make it complex. It's like, well, we got to do all these things. We gotta, you know, i gotta, I got to be a good Christian. So here's what I'm, here's what I'm I kind of boil it all down. Mark um, chapter 8, 34 to 38. I'm just going to read this for you real quick, and we're going to close. This is Jesus talking. Calling the crowd to, to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in return for a soul? Now, Jesus is going to get very serious with these next two verses or next one verse. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Do you want to, I'm going to read that again because I really want you to hear it. Listen to every word with purpose. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him I will, uh, will the Son of Man be ashamed when, the, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In other words, if on this little span of life that you get on this earth, maybe you get 100 years on this earth, let's say that's how much you get. If you spend that 100 years denying Christ and being ashamed of him, then essentially what we're saying is, yeah, you obviously don't want God, and so why would God make you spend an eternity with him in heaven? There is a place that God has created that people uh, who don't want an eternity with God will go, and it's called hell. Eternity separated from God. If you are not ashamed of God, if you are worshiping him, if your heart has been surrendered, I don't mean if you do the things you're supposed to do, because Jonah, did the, he did the things that God told him to do. But in the end, his heart wasn't in it. He was hoping that they would be destroyed. He obviously wasn't aligned with what God wanted. Now, is Jonah a Christian? Is he not a Christian? Are we going to see him in heaven? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not the judge. God is. But I would love to just put before you this question. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Is your heart surrendered to the king of kings? Think about what he did 2,000 years ago this week. In, in two days, on Friday night, Christianity will celebrate Good Friday, which was only good because Jesus gave himself over to be crucified for our behalf so that he could pay for our salvation, not so that you could earn it. You can't earn it. You can't pay. If you had the most money in the world, you couldn't pay for it. And then three days later, he rose again. Where is your heart? Is your heart surrendered to God? Or is your heart ashamed of God? And pray for you. Will you bow your heads? Just before I pray, I just want to ask... <clears throat> If you're in here right now and you know for sure without a doubt that your heart is on some level not surrendered to God, what I would just say very simply is 99% obedience to him is 100% disobedience. It's not, yeah, I want to take everything that God says, but I'm going to kind of keep this thing over here to myself. I'm going to, uh, because I want this one thing. I'm just going to, I just, I deserve that. I think, no, we give 100% of our lives over and we surrender to the king of kings. I'm going to ask you, if you, if you know that you haven't surrendered your life to him, I want to ask you to come up and talk to me after and I'll, I'll guide you through that process. If you want to give your life to Jesus tonight, I'm not going to have you slip up your hand. That's just too easy, okay? 
We're going to come up here. There's going to be a group of students up here. If they want to submit their lives to Jesus, we'll have, we'll have that happen right here. Some of you, though, maybe you have made that decision and your heart's not quite in it. And I want to just ask you if you'll resubmit your heart tonight to Jesus. It doesn't mean you're getting saved again. It just means that you're coming back in alignment with God. Some of you have a million things that you've been avoiding that you know God has been asking you to do. But you're just like, I got my ticket to heaven. I'm good. Can I just suggest that that is not the Christian life as we see it in Scripture? The Christian life is surrendered to God. Free salvation, but truly it costs Jesus everything and it costs us surrendering our life. Okay, so I'm going to pray and we're going to close. And if you have a decision to make, you need to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to be right here right after service. Heavenly Father, I do pray. I prayed all day. I prayed an hour ago, and I'm praying right now that you would flood the hearts of students with faith, that someone would decide to go from death to life tonight, that someone would decide to go from being ashamed of you to delighting in you. I pray that there is a student here that hasn't surrendered their heart to you, that they would do so tonight. I pray that they would have that boldness. I pray for, for I, I, I imagine a, a lot of students that have just been kind of, they've got their ticket to heaven and they've, they've kind of been ignoring some different calls. Maybe a call to invite their friend to church or, or to start reading the Bible for their own. I pray that you would help us have the boldness to take the next step. Wherever we are, God, I do pray that you would, you would help us have the boldness to take one next step, just one. Lord, thank you for everything you do. Thank you for all the ways that when we don't get it right, you give us grace. Thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.